0: Chargers go without a huddle again. Right side, try right, intercepted on the left side. Picked off at the goal line. Picked off by Watson. Watson could go all the way. The seventh round pick, 20, 15, 10, 5, Jalen Watson.
1: Biggest moment on a big night to start week two, Chargers at Chiefs. The Chiefs hold on for the 27-24 win, an onside kick, spoiler alert near the end, seals it after the Chargers cut the margin from 10 to 3, an important development for anyone who had the Chargers plus 3.5. Peter King, we have him for the next two hours to talk about last night's game and the slate of contests that come week two, just getting started, PFT Live on Peacock Serious XM 85, live on Sky Sports, easy for him to say, live on Sky Sports NFL, just getting started. Good morning, Peter King. How are you, pal?
0: Hey, good morning, Mike. Really a fun game last night. I think that Asante Samuel Jr., if they've landed back, I'm sure they have landed back in Los Angeles by now. uh, I bet he slept fitfully because he had that game in his hands and it fell to the turf But again, a lot to discuss. I thought Mahomes really came through well in the second half. And, you know, we're going to have to find out what was Gerald Everett's route assignment on that interception. Because after the game, it sure sounded like that he was supposed to come back to the ball. But again, these things happen. 99-yard interception by a guy nobody's ever heard of. And good for Jalen Watson.
1: Yeah, seventh-round rookie out of Washington State makes the play of the night, a night in which there were many plays. And let's start with Gerald Everett because before that play, as the Chargers were in pedal-to-metal mode, Gerald Everett was gassed. Gerald Everett won it out. Gerald Everett had nothing left there he is, take me out, I'm out, and you see him. He stops, he goes, he's, he's got nothing left physically. So what what is he supposed to do in that moment? You're right, maybe the assignment was for him to come back, but if they're ignoring the guy when he's trying to get out of the game, that's the thing about going no huddle. It makes sense as long as your 11 guys are all able to physically withstand the requirement of go, 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 go. And then not only do you have a guy who's clearly gassed, he's the one who's getting the ball. So there has to be some sensitivity on the sideline to what's going on on the field. And there wasn't. They just missed it. And it wasn't that Herbert missed Everett. It's that Everett physically couldn't get back to the ball.
0: Yeah, and Mike, I think what happened on that play, as I read it and as I saw it, and you saw it on the Amazon, uh, the Amazon cameras last night. You saw that he was clearly saying, I need to be subbed out. But think of it. He's at the whatever he was, 8, 9 yard line, uh, wherever he is right there. Uh, you know, not even maybe at the 8 or 9. Well, at the, at the 12 or 13. And so the sideline is 30 to 35 yards away. And so if they want to keep trying to go tempo, it's going to be very hard for them to do that and for them to make substitutions like that.
1: Right. All the more reason to be willing to press pause on this obsession with keeping the Chiefs from making substitutions. That's the other side of the coin here. Hey, we want to keep the Chiefs on their heels. We don't want to let them swap tired guys out. Oh, crap. Our guys are tired. That's that's the only drawback yeah. to go, 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 go offense. And Jalen Watson said after the game, there's a interview of him with James Palmer of NFL Network, that 10-play drive, he didn't have a whole lot left. Now, his conditioning allowed him to make the pick, and I'm sure adrenaline kicks over, and off you go down the field with the game-changing touchdown, the 14-point swing, which resulted in The Chiefs up 24-17 instead of being down 24-17, but that's the reality. If you're going to do that, you better be sure that your guys are able to do it, and you better have eyes on the the possibility. We spent a lot of time this week talking about plans and changing plans as it relates to the Broncos' loss on Monday night. You got your plan to go no huddle. You better be willing to change it if one of your guys is saying – It's a little bit too much. I physically can't keep going because it's not like he just decided he was going to rebel against the play. He just physically couldn't do it physically. And you can see him struggling, struggling to even begin to move in the direction of Jalen Watson after the interception. The guy just physically was done. And that happens sometimes to people. Your body says, hey, brain, I don't give a crap what. (laughs) You and I've restrained. I've restrained now from saying the other word twice since we are live on Sky Sports NFL. I don't give a crap what brain wants to do. Body is saying veto. The body has ultimate veto power over brain.
0: Yeah. And look, that's an unfortunate way for a gigantic play in a game uh, for a game to be decided. But you see that in the NFL all the time. You see, you know, one thing that you never in a million years would be thinking of as being a huge factor in a game, and that obviously was a huge factor in the game. I think the other part of this game that is going to be concerning when the Chargers look at the tape is the protection element now around Justin Herbert. And also, you know, what's going on with his ribs? Is he going to miss any time now? He looked as uncomfortable as a quarterback possibly could look. Mike, how about when he's when when he's got an easy first down, running around right end, but instead of running for the first down, he just throws the ball away because he's just absolutely gassed and he has nothing. I, I don't think physically he could have run to that spot. And so he, here you see the injury right here. I'd be surprised if this is just the wind knocked out of him, Mike. It, it it looks like he's got some sort of rib injury, rib cartilage injury. But, you know, we'll see today after they do an MRI back in L.A. Yeah, it's funny, Peter. I saw
1: one of the tweets from the Brandon Staley postgame press conference that it's possible that, that Justin Herbert just had the wind knocked out of him. Here's the thing about having the wind knocked out of you. The wind comes back fairly yeah. quickly. It comes back. The wind. I remember when I learned in school that the wind knocked out of you is basically you get hit so hard that the electrical connection from your spine to your organs skips a beat to your lungs and your heart, and it, it takes a little time to reset. He, he, he obviously was in some sort of discomfort because there were shots of him on the sideline talking to backup Chase Daniels, motioning to the left side of his abdomen, his torso... Just just under his, his pectoral muscle, along his rib cage, whether it's rib, whether it's abdominal, whether it's a muscle, whatever it may be, he clearly had something that wasn't right. And he took a, a hard hit. And it, it was a clean hit. There was no flag. And yeah. I didn't see a lot of argument that there should have been one. No. There was no effort to put the body weight. Remember, that became a very popular call a few years ago. It was a shoulder hit. And it was natural momentum that took the two men to the ground. And and that was that. But he still gets banged around a little bit. This is the thing about one of these guys that's even larger and taller than Cam Newton. When you see them get hit, you just think they're fine because they're so damn big. But they're still getting yeah. hit. And at some point, they're potentially going to get injured.
0: Hey, look, you know, I, I I think what Brandon Staley said after the game last night about You're not going to see a tougher quarterback or a better, gutsier quarterback performance than that. But the fact is it had a huge impact on the way this game ended and the fact that, you know, he wasn't able to play the way he normally would play in the last few minutes of the game. And that is one of the factors in who won and lost this game. But, you know, you've also got to hand it to Kansas City because, look, they now have played without Tyreek Hill twice in five days. And it is Mahomes, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions, Kansas City, 2-0. and oh. And uh, I think he's basically eliminating a lot of the questions about how big a factor Ty- the absence of Tyreek Hill is going to be. And by the way, and by the way, I think there are some people inside the Chiefs who are absolutely categorically delighted about that with some of the sniping that has gone from Tyreek Hill back to Kansas City.
1: Well, Peter, we've learned through the things Tyreek Hill has said on his podcast, it needed to be said. He has said some things that didn't need to be said that help us better understand what was going on. He was being yeah. a pain in the ass for them. And yeah, I, I don't know if I've said this on a day that you've been on the show, but Chris and I have talked about this on other days of the week. I think Tyreek Hill saw what Cooper Cup was doing last year and was resentful and jealous and envious. And he wanted the opportunities the Cup was getting because if Cup can have a record pace for catches and yards, I can too. Because at the end of the day, Tyreek Hill had career high targets and receptions last year. So it's not as if he was being ignored and overlooked in the Kansas City offense, but he still wasn't happy. And that puts pressure on the quarterback, who already has a natural inclination to hold the ball a little bit longer for Tyree Kill to spring open. You take that out of the mix, and now all you've got, you've got your guys that are running their routes. And what do you do? You throw to the guy who's open. You go from this guy to this guy to this guy. And you don't feel any extra pressure or any extra fascination with getting the ball to one specific guy. And I think that's what takes this offense next level or to
0: the level that they've wanted it to be at ever since Patrick Mahomes took it over, Peter. You know, I would bet that at some point last year, there was, if that indeed was the case, I bet at some point last year, uh, Andy Reid or uh, maybe Mike Kafka at the time, uh, Eric Enemy somebody would have made the point, hey, by the way, you know, the Rams don't have Travis Kelsey. So there's whatever, 150, I don't even know how many targets Travis Kelsey had last year. But, you know, 130, 150, whatever it was. But if the Rams had Travis Kelsey, Cooper Cup would not have caught the balls nor had the targets that he had last year. Because there would be a 1 and a 1A there. And, you know, the Rams just didn't have that. The Rams had to rely inordinately on one receiver last year. Robert Woods goes down. They don't have the tight end that Kansas City has. So, I mean, look, I've got... and, And plus, you know, I wrote this in my column, Mike. You know, what's ridiculous about this is at the time this happened, Drew Rosenhaus... The agent for Tyreek Hill said that he was surprised at how far Kansas City stretched to try to get him re signed and praised Kansas City through the roof for how they handled the negotiations. So, I don't know, to me it's sour grapes by Hill.
1: Now, Hill was targeted 159 times last year, Kelsey 134, to your point. And I don't know how much Tyreek Hill was even uttering the name Cooper Cup when he was complaining last year, but he made it clear he was not happy, he was complaining, he treated it as a feather in his cap that he didn't say anything publicly at the time. Well, he said it all publicly afterward, and I think that allows us to peel back a little bit of this onion as to what the stressors were for Patrick Mahomes, now this year they're gone. Here's Patrick Mahomes last night after the victory talking about spreading the football around to various players not named Tyreek Hill.
0: Yeah, I think that's what we said um, going into camp. It's going to be everybody. Uh, it's not going to be one one guy. Um, uh, our, the Justin Watson came in uh, when McColl was a little banged up, and he got McColl's route, and he, and he won against a... Pro Bowl, All Pro corner, um, and so uh, for guys like that to to make their their imprint on the game, that'll help us out as we get into these tough games like this. That we can, we can get touchdowns and 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 stuff like that from everybody.
1: And that's the beauty of it too, because Patrick Mahomes, who is in his fifth year as a starter, who is acquiring an an even better mental database of looks pre-snap post-snap who's open who's not open working through his reads faster spreading the ball around I'm doing the counting here real quick I see nine different guys last night had catches nine different guys last night had catches Peter out of 24 receptions nine different guys had catches with Travis Kelsey the most there Five for fifty-one, and I guarantee you, none of those guys was complaining during or after the game
0: that they didn't get the ball enough. You know what was really interesting last night? I thought that you know in this crucial AFC West game, the Kansas City touchdowns were scored by Jarek McKinnon, Justin Watson, and uh, Jalen Watson. I mean, you know. Coming into the game, I mean, let's go to Vegas and let's see what the odds of any of those guys scoring a touchdown. What 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 could you have gotten on any of those guys scoring touchdowns last night? And those are the three. And, you know, Mike, I, I will just go back to the day I spent in St. Joseph, Missouri in the middle of August where Patrick Mahomes had a day, it was maybe an hour and a half practice. It was not a long practice. And Patrick Mahomes was spreading the ball all over the field. And I had this observation. I charted, I think, 29 plays that day because they were going so fast. And I charted 29 plays that day. And on only nine of them was Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot. He was all over the place. And he's happy. Everybody's happy. Justin Watson is catching balls down the field. And, and so I think Kansas City had a design going into this year. You will not read us this year. You just won't. We are going to be unpredictable, and we are going to be multifaceted and married to no one in this offense. And you've seen in the first two weeks – They are married to no
1: one. You mentioned Smith-Schuster. What a reception machine he was early in his career in Pittsburgh. He was targeted three times with three catches for 10 yards last night. And again, I suspect he had not a word of complaint, criticism, or frustration as a result of what happened last night. And Jalen Watson also said after the game, because when you consider these are the two teams – right out of the gates that play a short week game. He said all the way back to OTAs. They weren't just preparing for the Cardinals. It was Cardinals-Chargers, Cardinals-Chargers. They were getting ready for both. Peter. They went Peter. A mild technical snafu. We will have Peter King back momentarily. Speaking of technical... Oh, he's back already. Uh, Peter, let me ask you this. Tell me about your viewing experience last night. I'm going to take a detour from talking about the game, but I think this is for a lot of people, as important. It was heralded as a new frontier for the NFL on par with Monday Night Football. There he goes again. (laughs) With Monday Night Football in 1970, the advent of the ESPN partial Sunday night package in 1987, a tremendous development for the NFL as it relates to the manner in which its product is consumed. I'll go ahead, since we're having technical difficulties now, and tell you the mild technical difficulties that I had with the Amazon Prime Video product. A lot of what I've heard is anecdotal because that's what you hear, one person at a time saying they had a good experience or they had a not-so-good experience. And for me, the first half was perfect. No complaints, no concerns. Picture was great. I compare it to YouTube TV. That's how I get all my channels now on YouTube TV. I got rid of DirecTV a few years ago. I was a little nervous about switching to YouTube TV because you're so used to cable or satellite that's so ingrained in who you are and how you consume. I can't just stream. I can't just do that. I can't rely on this technology. YouTube TV is the perfect platform for watching anything. And when you're watching a game on YouTube TV, if you pause it because you have to go to the bathroom when you come back, you can immediately catch up to the action, skip through the commercial, and get to where the game is. That was my first concern last night, and this is something that I implore Jeff Bezos and company to fix. When you try to catch up, if you have to pause the game, you are flying blind. You have no idea when to stop the fast forward, and I can't tell you how many times. I'll tell you that it happened every time that I tried to catch up. I went too far. Then I had to go back. Then I had to go again. I was like parallel parking. Uh, I was going to say when I was 16, but I'm still as bad as it now at it now. I, and that to me was the first real frustration that they have to fix, Peter, as it relates to the Amazon broadcast. When you pause, because people do, it has to be easier to get through the commercials and back to the game. And it's almost as if they don't want you to ever scroll through the commercials, so they've come up with this this technical manner of of scrolling past. And forwarding past that makes you say, it's not worth it. I'll just watch the damn commercials.
0: Yeah. So, Mike, for me last night, uh, I spent about an hour on the phone. We did not have Amazon Prime on our uh, television. And so on either of our TVs in our house. So um, I spent about an hour with an Amazon, a very, very nice Amazon uh, representative yesterday I had the fire stick. I I was trying to figure out exactly how to do it and we just never could get to it. And she and at the end she said, "You know, you don't have a smart TV." <laughs> and I said, "Well, I guess we could have uh, we 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 could have, you know, solved this problem early on had we figured out that I don't have a smart TV and it wouldn't work with it." But what I ended up doing Mike is watching it on my laptop which was absolutely fine. I had a fine viewer experience. The one thing I really wanted to do but didn't do just because I was so into the game and I didn't want to sort of experiment during the game. I wanted to watch some of those alternative feeds, you know, but I never I never saw any of them last night. I just stuck with, uh, uh, you know, with Al Michaels and Kirk Street. And, you know, I thought it was remarkably similar. The in-game experience was remarkably similar to uh, a game. Uh, You know, it was not really very different. I thought it was going to be a little different. I thought that they were going to have some some more stuff like with analytics during the telecast. There might have been a few more things, but I didn't really see that. The one thing that I thought that they would talk about and they would dissect more than they did was Brandon Staley seemingly going back uh, and not being a fourth-down bandit the way he was a year ago. And it's logical, the reason that he didn't go forward on fourth-down as much for a very simple reason. He's got a defense now. He's not afraid of kicking, of of punting, even even if he's punting to Patrick Mahomes. And he didn't have a defense last year. So I think that is probably a very big part of it. But I would have liked to have heard more discussion and seen more stats about that last night uh, on the telecast.
1: Here is Brandon Staley after the game talking about being more conservative on those fourth down plays where he seemed to go for it every single time he could last year. Here he
2: is. Yeah, I just wanted to give our our defense a chance to compete. I really loved the way we were playing. Um, I felt like that was the formula to flip the field there. Um, You know, I felt like we were aggressive when we needed to be tonight. Um, You know, we converted all four of our fourth downs. But just felt like, you know, with who's over there um, and the way our defense was playing, uh, I felt like the field position would be a big edge for our defense to be able to pin them back there. And, um, you know, I I like the way our defense competed tonight.
1: And you're right, Peter. It's easy to be hyper-aggressive on fourth down when you have real concerns about your defense. Now, you don't say that. You say, I've got full faith in Justin Herbert. So now this year, oh, you got less faith in Justin Herbert. No, he's got more faith (laughs) in his defense. And you mentioned right at the top of the show the Asante Samuel Jr. interception that was in his hands. And I couldn't help but think last night back to Super Bowl 42 when Asante Samuel Sr., had the 17-0 and yeah. clinching interception in his hands just moments before the David Tyree helmet catch after the Eli Manning-Houdini escape to deliver the football. That game would have been over if Dad holds on to the football. So at least, at least, and I'm not trying to be snarky here, at least there can be a meaningful conversation about how to deal with it and move forward. Now, Asante Sr.'s catch was a lot easier. I mean, it was a diving attempt. It would have been a great catch by Asante Jr. if he'd held on to it. And it looked like he had. And it was one of those, well, the ball hit the ground. He didn't have full possession. They reversed it via replay review. But that that moment felt like the dagger. We're midway through the third quarter. It's 17-7, and the Chargers would have had the ball right there at the 35, up 10. And who knows what would have happened after that. But it, it felt like... As he was catching that ball, or as the case may be, not catching that
0: ball, that that was it. Early turn out the lights, the party's over. You know, two comments on that. Look, the play. It, it wasn't that he, it, you know, that uh, that he that he almost made a miracle catch. It's that he missed the first one. Yes. You know, the first show that show that one more time. The ball is right in his hands. The ball is right in his hands. The diving part of it. Doesn't i I don't know. To me, it's like he 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 had an easy interception, he bobbled it, and then he tried to recover. That's an easy interception, Mike. That's, I was you trying know, to be and, nice, I guess. It was yeah, just like what and, Dad did. <laughs> and the Oops. other thing is the other thing I would say is I I was not sure about that replay. I really wasn't. You know, it sure didn't pass the sniff test as, you know, absolutely obvious. Uh, you know that that the ball was used, by, or that that he used the ground to help him secure the ball. I I don't know. I didn't think there was enough there to overturn it, but I know I'm I in agree the with you. Minority. No, no, no,
1: no, no, no. Here, I agree with you. Here, here's the problem I was having at the time, and this gets into my second half experience watching the game on Amazon. At some point. My TV, which was 15 feet away from an unimpeded router, kicking off fiber-based internet at high, (laughs) high, high speeds. And I never have an issue. So it wasn't a me problem. It was an Amazon problem. It was buffering every three seconds. And I can't tell you how frustrating it is to watch a football game When it buffers for three seconds and plays for three seconds. And buffers for three seconds and plays for three seconds. And then I was doing the whole trying to fast forward catch up. So I actually missed when they came back and said that the pass was an incompletion. But Peter, I agree with you. And this is why I hate the rule that... It's okay for the ball to hit the ground as long as the act of it hitting the ground doesn't assist. How about we just say the ball can't hit the ground? Let's go back to Burt Emanuel in 1999 and say, hey, Burt, tough crap. The ball shouldn't touch the ground. And this isn't an old man yells at cloud take for a change. I think there's something sacred about keeping the ball from touching the ground. And if the ball touches the ground, it's not a catch. Then we don't have to get into this interpretation of, well, you know, it did touch the ground, but the ground didn't help him secure the catch. Or he had possession. The Touching the ground was just incidental. If it touches the ground before you have secured possession, it's not a catch. Why can't that just be the rule, Peter?
0: Okay, Mike, it's the rule. I, I know. Look, the, only th- the only thing I know last night when I watched that, And I did not have the buffering problem on the laptop. Um, But when I watched that, I said to myself, even though, I think it was, I I forget whether it was Al or whether it was Kirk, one of those guys, said, well, this is probably going to be overturned. I said, I would not overturn this. This is, there is not indisputable visual evidence that, uh, that, that the ground assisted him in making this catch or he secured it against the ground. Did it look like there was a a decent to good chance that it did? Yes. But you tell me there's indisputable visual evidence that he didn't catch that ball and the ball just happened to hit the ground while he caught it. That's kind of how I saw it. But, you know, again, they overturned it. My, my bigger issue with replay, Mike, is that it's not being used for what it was put in to, to fix. And that is to correct the obvious and indisputably wrong calls. Hey. That play right there was not indisputably wrong. That, I, I mean, I think whether it was 50-50, 60-40, 50, it was close. And, and you know, to overturn a call like that is not why replay was put in the NFL. Amen. You're preaching to the choir, the 50 drunks in a bar
1: standard, as Mike Holmgren articulated it when they brought replay back years ago. It should be something where we all know immediately this is a mistake that needs to be rectified and not something that entails a frame-by-frame review like the Subruder film to figure out whether or not the ball touched the ground in a manner that allowed Asante Samuel Jr. to make the catch more easily. Again, it's a cleaner rule if you just can't let the ball touch the ground. It's a far cleaner replay standard if you say it has to be so obvious to anyone in a bar, and I envied the people in the bar last night because they didn't have the buffering problem because they were watching the game via Direct TV. All right, um, let's go back to the Herbert Injury. We talked about it some, but it's something that's going to resonate into the weekend and beyond. And you know how teams are; they're going to keep it close to the vest. They don't want to tip their hand. They don't want the Jaguars, their next opponent, to know with any certainty whether they need to get ready for Justin Herbert or Chase Daniel. Let's let's have a a listen and a look at what was said by Brandon Staley, the coach of the Chargers, after the game to reporters on the Justin Herbert injury.
2: He's okay. Um, It was a tough game and you're not going to see a quarterback in any level of football play tougher and do more for their team and will their team um, to give them a chance than him. There's nobody that can do what he can do. Nobody. Um, He showed a lot of guts. He showed us what he shows every day um, that we're never out of the fight and he brought us back and gave us a chance. It was just a tough NFL game and he took some big hits. And None of those big hits had any impact on him bringing his team back like he always does.
1: Okay, look, I pride myself on reading body language and demeanor and the way words are delivered and the way that the, the entire persona is being projected. There's, there are certain things and unless you are a Hollywood-level actor, you cannot hide. To me, Peter, that's a guy who is still dealing with the early moments of the realization that he may not have Justin Herbert for a week or two or longer. That's how I read the overall body language of of Brandon Staley in that moment.
0: I don't know how to read his body language other than I don't know what's wrong right now, and so I'm not going to sit here and predict that he might be out for a while. Um, You know, at this point, I don't even know when he met the press if he knew the results of whatever the x-rays were because... There were a couple of tweets last night. I stayed up, Mike, to watch and to listen and to analyze uh, what exactly happened. Justin Herbert emerged from the locker room, according to reporters, about 15 minutes after the game and went down to the X-ray room at Arrowhead Stadium. So by the time Brandon Staley had uh, it was meeting the press... I sincerely doubt that he could have known whatever the problem is. Maybe the x-rays were inconclusive. Maybe they showed cracked ribs. I, I don't I don't have any idea, and I doubt that Brandon Staley knew. So I just think when I heard him, I think he was trying to say, uh, I don't know what the story is. We'll see tomorrow when we get back to L.A. and we do an MRI, which I'm sure they're going to do today. But I... I I don't know. I didn't read a lot into it.
1: Well, I I mean, when he starts off saying he's okay at a time when he clearly doesn't know that he's okay, there's some wishful thinking there. And obviously, he's not going to make any disclosures until he absolutely positively has to for strategic reasons. But he just struck me as a guy who is bracing for whatever may happen, including the possibility that he's not going to have the best player on his team by far for a game or longer. Can they beat the Jaguars with Chase Daniel? I think they probably can. I we we haven't seen enough of Chase Daniel during his 35-year NFL career to come to any firm conclusions about what he could do if he's pressed <laughs> into service. But uh, you know we'll just see. This is just going to be one of those things that we're tracking and we're watching and we're understanding that the Chargers have no obligation to say a word about this to anyone until they issue their practice report next Wednesday. Did he practice? Was he limited? What's the injury and whether it's rib, whether it's abdomen. Now, I saw a tweet last night from one of the folks covering the Chargers that a team spokesman said Herbert would not be meeting with the media because of a rib injury. Now, I doubt that that is a specific and conclusive diagnosis. We assumed rib, but who knows? Who knows? It could be a muscle strain. It could be an internal organ. I mean, one of the first things I thought of, frankly, because I work with the guy four days a week, well, three during the season,
0: I have spleen Chris Sims
1: lost a spleen. spleen. I mean, it doesn't take much to pop a spleen.
0: Yeah. You know what I was thinking, Mike, when I you said it a minute ago. We're probably not gonna know a lot about this until next Wednesday. Now, look, maybe the Chargers will make some sort of announcement about what the medical tests reveal uh, you know, last night and today. Maybe they will. But you're absolutely right. They're under no obligation to say anything until next Wednesday. So this could be like six days of or, or, you know, five days of a gigantic mystery that I think no one is really going to know or be able to get to the bottom of until then. But I will just say one thing. Usually when you have torso injuries and you are doing the things that a quarterback has to do. And you saw the one play last night where Justin Herbert was in so much pain that he could have run for a first down. He could have crawled for a first down. And he and, and he chose just to throw the ball away because the thought of either sliding, you know, to avoid contact or The thought of even a mild tackle was so uh, uproariously, you know, painful to him that he just said, I got to get rid of the ball. I just can't do it. I can't take anymore. So I don't think this is nothing. (laughs) I think this is definitely something. But we'll see. I agree with you. Look, that,
1: that grit that had him in the game. All you got to do is take a few more steps and slide, but he's feeling it there. You can see it. He's yeah. wincing. He's in noticeable yeah. pain. So that, that I think, is...
0: is uh, When I saw that, Mike, assign- that said everything. That just said everything. And it also, I totally agree with Staley. I You know, look, part of you as a coach, I'm sure, part of Brandon Staley wanted to say, hey, Chase Daniel, get in there. I can't. I can't watch this. I just. This is too painful to watch. But he didn't, and they ended up, you know, making the game very close, throwing a touchdown after and all that. But I, I just think that what you have to do, the torque you put on your torso when you're throwing a football and you're standing in. I don't care how well padded he can, he's going to be against Jacksonville. I would be, I'd be worried about the next couple of weeks for him, but we'll see. And he still made some great throws. Even really did that discomfort,
1: the throw to Joshua Palmer, the touchdown pass, that cut the game to three points. I mean, the guy was incredible when it came to throwing the football and, and the simple explanation is whatever he was doing to twist his body, to throw the football, wasn't creating that discomfort. But when he decided to run That act of running and the promise of whatever was coming next, it just was something that he wasn't going to be able to do. But look at that throw. Good Lord. Um, So this is why he was still in the game. And Peter, let me ask you this. I'm curious about this because the NFL has made a big deal in recent years about having the stadium blanketed with people who have the authority to stop the game in order that players be removed for full and complete concussion evaluation. And, and I have said in the past, and I wrote about this in Playmakers, that if Chris Sims was going through what he experienced in September of 2006 against the Carolina Panthers on a hot day in Tampa, bruised and battered and repeatedly hit, somebody would have checked him out at some point before the end of the game. Somebody would have said, you're out of the game. You can't continue. At what point, I wonder, and maybe this is something we need to look into, at what point should someone be ready to say, hey, Justin Herbert, For your own good, we're removing you from this game. Even though it's not a concussion situation, they still at some point, Peter, need to have a threshold where you've got all these people there with a button that can pull a guy out of the game for a proper evaluation, a full and complete, take him into the tent, check him out, take him into the locker room if need be. At what point do you do
0: that for something other than a head injury? I think it's a fair question to ask. I do think it's a fair question, but Mike, I think what a team would say and what coaches would say is they would take the tape out of this game and show the two passes that Justin Herbert threw right then and say, this is a guy who is in some pain right now. Football is a sport of pain. And how, if he is totally incapable of functioning and or protecting himself, how did he make those two plays right there? And, you know, how did he thread the needle in the end zone the way he did? And so, and I think I would, I would say, I would say that on both of these plays, he probably accounted for the pain he was having. You know, watch this throw right here. Watch this throw. It's just, he almost sidearms it. He almost to Colby's it, not, not, not the submarine, but he, he sidearms that throw. And I'm not sure that that is his absolute natural throwing motion. So I think he was sort of accounting for the pain that he knew he was going to have and just throwing the ball and, and subjecting himself to some pain but not feeling like he absolutely uh, was incapable of playing. And the counter to that is
1: if you're somebody from the union and you're having conversations about the NFL, where the threshold should be for mandating an examination in game of a player, you, you show the, the the run that we talked about where he just threw yes. it away. And, and I mean, that's the counter to it. Like at what point... And this is my question. I'm not saying it should have happened last night with Justin Herbert, and obviously he was able to throw the ball at the end of the game. My point is they have a mechanism that's in place primarily, if not exclusively, to watch for head trauma and to get guys checked out if they've possibly had concussions. Where below the ears does that get triggered for other guys who may be out there? When they shouldn't be, and may require a check before they're cleared to continue. That's I'm just saying, it's a question to raise at some point. And I think about what happened to Chris, and at what point would what Chris was going through in September of 2006 cause someone to be the adult in the room to say to the player who wants to prove himself? And Chris has explained this. You know, he's the the son of the quarterback with the laissez faire upbringing as Steve Young inadequately and inaccurately said back at the time, but, uh, he wants to prove himself. This is his opportunity. He's not coming out. You got to have somebody there who grabs him and pulls him off the field. And, and that's my question. If we're going to do it for head injuries, do we do it for other injuries where a guy may have another busted spleen and we just don't know about it and he's out there still playing? That's, that's my only question. I'm not saying it was right or wrong last night. I'm just wondering whether or not there should be a mechanism in place and when it activates and who knows who knows because we still don't know when it properly activates when a guy's potentially had a concussion all right monday night's game the seahawks the thrilling victory over the broncos how will they follow it up in week two when they go to santa clara where they are nearly 10 point underdogs against the 49ers we'll discuss that when this friday edition of pft live continues right after this Bad news for the Seahawks and safety. Jamal Adams making the play against Russell Wilson on Monday night. He reportedly will have season-ending surgery on a torn quad tendon that happened on that play. He was placed on injured reserve earlier this week. Likely will not be back this season. He missed nine games over his first two years with the Seahawks. And I got a ton of respect, Peter, for Jamal Adams. because and, And this applies across the board to all NFL players. You work... And train and perfect your body and your craft, and you get yourself to 100%. And then you go out there knowing, inevitably, you're going to be below 100%. And there's a very real chance you're going to have an injury that derails your season, and you've go, got to go back and start all over again. And I'm reminded of J.J. Watt telling you years ago when he had like hernia surgery in Philadelphia and he was in a really dark place in the hospital room, and what like. How do you keep finding, if you're Jamal Adams, how do you keep finding the will? Whether it's you got a broken finger so you got a club on your hand or you're wearing a harness all year because of your shoulder injury or now you got to go have surgery on this quad tendon and go through months of arduous rehab, all in the name of getting yourself back to a point or you can go out and tear down your body again. It really is amazing to me that guys so willingly
0: and voluntarily do it, Peter. You know, the sad part of it for Jamal Adams is, you know, he will now be known as a guy who can't stay healthy because by the end of this year, assuming he misses the whole year, he will have been employed by the Seattle Seahawks for 50 games and he will have missed 25 of them. And that's a lot of games to miss, especially when you're highly paid, when a team traded so much to get you. But I really have empathy for for Jamal Adams, because this is a great football player who has had some absolutely, totally rotten luck when it comes to injuries. Oh, absolutely.
1: And look, I I hear this all the time with Christian McCaffrey now. People give him a hard time because he's banged up constantly. It's the nature of the position and the way you play it. This isn't malingering These guys are going out there throwing their bodies into these car crashes, as Chris calls them. You're going to get injured. Only the rarest of the rare have a body composition that allows them to go through that kind of physical abuse and emerge from it able to just keep going without periodically needing something to be worked on in some way. And that's where Jamal Adams is. And it's unfortunate. And at what point do you become, as a human being, discouraged? and disheartened and unwilling to keep doing it. I, I, I praise guys like Jamal Adams and J.J. Watt, guys who have had injuries. Rob Gronkowski, one of the things that amazed me the most about him, he had so many things go wrong early in his career. He was Cavity Sam, the guy from the Operation game. I mean, every time you turn around, <laughs> Gronk's getting another yeah. procedure. And it never changed his view of the world or of football. He was always happy. He was always positive. He was always upbeat. I mean, my goodness! Can you imagine keeping that outlook on this sport that is systematically tearing your body down, only to force you to spend time
0: building it back up again, knowing it's going to be torn down again? Mike, I remember which Super Bowl was it? It was either the Rams Super Bowl or the Falcons Super Bowl. I forget, but one of the one of the Super Bowls that that the Patriots won. Okay. And after the game, Rob Gronkowski was so physically depleted and physically ruined after that game because of a thigh bruise that he, he could barely put an ounce of weight on his leg as he went back and forth to the shower. It was, it was incredibly sad. And I just thought, and Mike, you know what the amazing thing was? He was laughing at one point when a bunch of us were sort of waiting around for him, you know, to, to, you know, to finish up, you know, when he was on his way to the shower, he was like guffawing. And, and I just said to myself, what an attitude this guy has, you know, what a, what an attitude toward life he has. How can you be in the kind of pain he's in right now and laugh? Maybe it's because you just won a Super Bowl, I guess. And, and it's all worth it if you win the Super Bowl. But I, I agree with you. I think guys like Gronkowski, guys like J.J. Watt, uh, you know, and Jamal Adams. Look, Jamal Adams got hurt on a play that if you watch that, and I watched the end zone replay of this, of him coming at Russell Wilson, and like he was not going to be denied. And his instincts and his physical prowess at blitzing is, is so good that to me, that's one of the reasons why it's so sad that he's not going to be around anymore, uh, you know, for the, for the rest of this year, because he just does what, I mean, look, this was such a great play because of where he came from and, and, you know, and, and evading all of the people he had to evade to, to get back there. and, You can see him riding off on the cart. Something is wrong with me. I don't know what it is. And I am so ticked off right now.
1: So the Seahawks move forward without Jamal Adams and also, obviously, without Russell Wilson. Geno Smith had a very good game, particularly in the first half against Denver on Monday night. The Seahawks go to the 49ers this week where they were a 10-point underdog. It moved, I think, to nine as people looked at it and said, why in the world are the Seahawks a 10-point underdog? Maybe I will bet my money on them, which causes the line to move. Can Geno Smith do it again on the road against the 49ers, especially Peter? I think we have to take this into account. Emotional win, short week, hard to press the reset button a big challenge for Pete Carroll to get his guys to forget about beating Russell Wilson and focus on their division
0: rivals one of the things that John Schneider and Pete Carroll take great pride in Mike is building a defense with interchangeable parts and with a lot of speed that's what you saw against the Denver Broncos on Monday night and all I want to know is those guys on defense, those speed players on defense, you know, can they come back in a short week on the road uh, against a team that is physically very demanding and physically very hard to play? Now, obviously, they're going to be fortunate if they don't have to face George Kittle. Uh, and I don't know whether Kittle's going to play or not. But I do think that when, I, when we were talking in the break, I said, you know, the two lines this week that are insane are the Patriots favored over uh, Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh. I, I mean, somebody's got to explain that one to me. And Seattle being a 9 or 10 point dog at San Francisco. Both of them, to me, are crazy after watching week one. And again, I don't think you can draw a single conclusion about Trey Lance or about the San Francisco 49ers after you play a mud bowl football game. The only conclusion that I would draw is on the interception by Eddie Jackson that that was a terrible read by Trey Lance. But other than that, I don't think you can draw any conclusions. I just know this. After watching Seattle on sun, on Monday night, I, I cannot figure out how they were a nine-point underdog against anybody.
1: Well, I agree with you, Peter, and it's an incomplete for Trey Lance and the 49ers in week one, even though they lost the game. Now, the fact that they lost puts more pressure on them, obviously, to go home and win and avoid falling to 0-2. The Jimmy Garoppolo situation is looming. He's there. We know he'll play if Trey Lance gets injured. The question is, at what point does Trey Lance get the hook from Kyle Shanahan, and I I can't rule out anything because Kyle Shannon is always going to be driven by what's best for the team. And Kyle Shannon yep. has a kind of personality where he can communicate to anyone on the team. He can find the words to say it in a way that gets them to buy in. And if he has to have the conversation with Trey Lance at some point that I I have to take you out and let you continue to learn at a slower pace. It's going to be better for you in the long run. It's better for us now. He'll get him to buy in, and it won't be awkward, and it won't be ugly, and Trey Lance won't demand a trade. Shanahan can do it if he wants to do it. I just wonder at what point he does it. And Chris made a great point earlier this week, next Sunday night. Kyle goes back to Denver. He's going to want to beat the Broncos. There's still some lingering animosity between the family and the Broncos organization. He's going to want to put his best foot forward on primetime week three and week four Monday Night Football against the Rams. Are you kidding me? So I, I, I just wonder how much pressure is on Trey Lance to go out there and and show why they have the faith in him that they do and will they lose faith in him. If he fails to do that, Peter,
0: I don't think there is any way that Kyle Shanahan in the first month of this season can yank Trey Lance. He will be viewed as just the ultimate yo-yo artist if he do, If Kyle Shanahan does this, I, I will be shocked if any time in the first four games that that he barring injury uh, that he yanks Trey Lance. Mike, he's just got too much invested in Trey Lance to say oops uh never mind all you 15 guys who we called in and said hey you got to support Trey Lance and it, you know because we didn't honestly, say we were going to we just said you have to <laughs> yeah. we didn't say we yeah. did yeah. <laughs> that's why that's why he can't because the players on the team would look at him like what is wrong with this guy you know I it just it, it's just it wouldn't make any sense to me Mike I,
1: I I don't disagree with that, but there's been so much about this entire ordeal that makes no sense. I guess I'm just ready for the next thing that makes no sense. And my point is that Kyle Shannon is a guy who can sell it in a sensible fashion to whoever he needs to sell it to. Because let me tell you, Peter, those 15 veterans that they called in, those team leaders that they implored and enlisted to support Trey Lance. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was funny when Jay Glazer said they didn't hesitate to agree what are they going to say no we're not going to do it (laughs) screw you of course they're going to agree to do it they're going to do what the coach tells them to do but (laughs) at what point do they start looking at the coach saying hey you know what we're not all in for the three-year trey lance project he may be better in 2024 we won't be here we want to win now we have a team that can win now you got to do something about this we want to win we want our best guys on the field that's the problem By keeping Jimmy Garoppolo around? Because we know how they feel about him in the locker room. We've seen what he can do. If they start digging a hole, the question is, when does the desperation get to the point where Kyle Shanahan says, I'll deal with the scrutiny? I'll deal with the questions. I'll deal with Peter King calling me the ultimate yo-yo artist. That may not be a bad thing. You ever try to do a yo-yo? It's kind of hard to do. I mean, I could see him spinning whatever anyone says into supporting whatever he wants to do. That's one of his skills. He's able to come up with whatever he thinks is best for the team. He doesn't worry about what else it means, and he thinks and believes, and I think he's accurate, he can talk his guys into supporting him.
0: Yeah, but three three years, Mike, is. I, I would understand them being angry if it's October 20th. And, you know, they're, they're lollygagging in last place in, in the division. I would understand making a change then. I would not understand making a change after 15 or 20 days of the season. So I, I cannot see a change being made uh, in week three or four. I, I think it's borderline impossible. There is one way a change would be made. That would be if Trey Lance gets
1: injured. There's been a lot of talk about him learning how to slide and how to protect himself. And there was conversation earlier this week at press conferences by both Kyle Shanahan and Trey Lance as to this balance between protection and also getting the yards that you need when you're trying to win football games. Here's Trey Lance from Wednesday on this issue of protecting himself when he's between the lines.
2: Man, I'm not bigger, faster, and stronger than pretty much everyone else. Um, guys catch up a lot quicker. Guys, you know, spaces fill. Guys close a lot faster. Um, and you know, got to learn to protect myself. Just being in a different situation, knowing how how important it is for me to stay healthy. There's always going to be, like I said, man, a million times. There's always going to be better decisions I can make. Uh, but on Sunday, I felt like I protected myself pretty well. Felt good for the most part. Maybe a couple I could have got down one step faster. Uh, or slashing, finding an edge, and getting down. But uh, for the most part, I mean, when I'm running between the tackles and stuff like that, or running on third down, I'm, I'm not ever going to slide um, and go fourth and two and just give up on the play and send our defense on the field if it's a situation like that.
1: And that's fine, but that's when the opportunity arises to get yourself injured. The more hits you take, the more likely you eventually are to get injured. And Peter, he's getting the crash course in you're not in North Dakota State anymore. At the NFL level, all those things that allowed you to be clearly better than the guys you were competing against, that's out the window. And that that realization, I think, applies to any college player when they go to the NFL. And every time you go up a level in football, it's faster, it's tougher, they're stronger, they're bigger. But especially when you go from an FCS-level team all the way up to the NFL—
0: it, 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 that, that is a splash of cold water in the face. Mike, I think his 13 rush attempts uh, in game one are not indicative of what is going to happen in game two and beyond. Because that was a function of playing uh, you know, on a terrible weather day. So I, I wouldn't expect him to run it more than like six or eight times in a game on average. For the rest of this year or however long he plays, that is not really, I don't think, what Kyle Shanahan wants him to do. And so I think he's going to become uh, a a guy who throws from the pocket and who throws on the move much more than a guy who is looking to use designed runs uh, to move the chains. You
1: mentioned George Kittle earlier. He is still not practicing. He had a groin injury that popped up the Monday of the first week of the season. Didn't play against the Bears. And it looks like, and who knows, we'll get a label applied to him today, whether it's out, doubtful, or questionable. We'll see whether or not he's able to go on Sunday for the home opener against the Seahawks. But I'm with you. That line is so big, I feel like it's one of those Vegas traps (laughs) <laughs> they're, 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 they they know something we don't. You know, it's funny. It's funny. If the betters have inside information, that that's a no-no. Can't do that. But if the house has infa- inside information, hey, all's fair. We know something you don't. We're setting the line accordingly, and we hope there's some suckers out there who take the Seahawks, like me. I picked the Seahawks to win that game. I just – and maybe I'm caught up in what would be a good story. The 49ers at 0-2, the Seahawks at 2-0, and and the Seahawks after beating Russell Wilson, just really getting off to a great start with this Pete Carroll building the team the way he wants it to be built without the franchise quarterback. I, look, it's not like the Seahawks are pushovers against the 49ers. I think this is going to be one of the better games of the weekend, and we'll see if the, if the Seahawks can pull it off. Let's take a break. There's more plenty more week two matchups that we'll be talking about. Peter King and I will continue that discussion when PFT Live resumes right after this.